This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Hey, Simple Passive Cashflow listeners, please do me a favor. And if you haven't, go and review the show on iTunes so we can get on better guests and add more people to the network. Today, I've got Kyle Jones on the line. How's it going, Kyle? Hey, Lane. It's going good. How are you, man? Yeah, good. So this is the second or third time we've sat down on recording before. We've done a couple of deals together. Yeah. Sorry to bring you on the podcast earlier, but <laughs> I just didn't trust you, you know? That's okay. Yeah, no, you were really feeling me out before yeah. you got involved. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so we first met just a lot of our common friends we just got to kind of know each other over what the past year or two or something like that yeah yeah it's so, been um, a little over a year yeah so i thought we get to know you a good chance i get to know you a little bit better you know for the folks to kind of understand you know you're an investor just like them and kind of just like me and it's it's kind of nice meeting people along the journey yeah but to give a sense of where you're at let the people know how much simple passive cash flow are you making today and how exactly are you doing that? Yeah, I mean, I would I would put a little bit of a spin on it because I do have a, a, another side hustle that is a residential appraisal business. So it's definitely not more passive related, but it is secondary income. And I group that into my real estate investments. So, But right now, I'm pretty close to covering my expenses with, uh, with all of it combined. So... Yeah, I mean, we're we're still rolling as as fast as we can to to grow the the appraisal business, but also at the same time, you know, we did total five syndications last year. So, and we've already already done one this year, and we're looking to do a couple more here. So, yeah, all this while working a full time sales job, <laughs> which is pretty flexible, right? Like that's the that is. thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like you, like you said in your opening, you know, I'm just like everybody else. I, I'm a, a corporate guy uh, still working a corporate job today and, you know, I've got a, a small kids and a family. So, but yeah, real estate for sure is really, is it was the first endeavor into the simple pass of cash flow, and no looking back at this point for sure. All right. Any idea when the, the you're going to pull the pin and go full time? <laughs> I don't know. I, when I grow up, I want to be like Lane. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. I mean, part of it is, I, I mean, I'll be the first one. Part of it is fear-based. I think I could probably do it today if I really push myself. But, you know, in, in a corporate sales job, you know, high tech space comes with a, some some decent bonus checks as well. And so it's just, you know, giving those up is, is going to be, you know, it's going to hurt initially, but I know I need to do it at some point. So we'll see. Um, we'll reassess where I'm at at the end of the year and uh, something else changes. Yeah. So take us back to the, uh, we call this a Han Solo moment. And that's if people don't know what Star Wars is, Han Solo and his buddy Chewbacca went on this tour around the world and they were low life smugglers until they met the right people and their life changed. What was your that kind of moment for you when your kind of life took a pivot from just your corporate sales gig? You know, it was, it was at a time when not things were still things were going very well in my corporate life, hitting my numbers multiple years in a row, hitting my sales quota, and you know things were going well. Promotions were coming along with that. But what I did see is my dad actually uh, at the time worked for the same company, 
course, he's much older, nearing retirement. But watching him go through that process of trying to find another job, he was basically, you know, in a way kind of forced forced out, you know, to uh, potentially retire. But I say potentially because he wasn't ready to retire, nor could he. You know, he he probably could if he drastically changed his lifestyle, both, you know, with my, with my mom today. But, you know, so I watched him go through the job hunt at 63, 64, however old he was at the time and just realized I didn't want to, I didn't want to do that. Instantly changed my entire perspective on what I was doing at that time. I was also getting my MBA company was paying for it and I was, I was halfway done and that came to an abrupt ending. I didn't sign up for the next semester's classes. And instead, I started seeking out alternative investments, you know, things that could really help me generate cash flow. And so that's ultimately what led me to real estate. And that's funny. Actually, yeah. There's actually a few people midway through that company paid MBA. I did that thing. I got the free masters with that too. Company paid it. So but, oh, there you go. I mean, you're, you're convicted enough to say no, no, thank you on that halfway and putting in the work. Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, even fast forward, you know, things corporate life have still continued to go well. And at the same time, I was also starting a new position at, at my current company, still in that position today. And, but at the same time, I've, continued to turn down some other promotions, even with that, you know, I, I've got to be careful about how I'm turning them down. But ultimately, my thinking is, hey, I've got uh, the flexibility today, I've got a pretty good handle on my role. And as a primary source of income, you know, I can continue to operate at a high level in my corporate job, but also it allows me the flexibility to do the real estate investments and also getting this appraisal business up and running as well. And so just not really wanting to take on added responsibility in the corporate life has continued to allow me to be flexible on the side. Yeah, that's a that's a very common theme I hear a lot of my folks, you know, people in their early 40s, late 30s, you know, you're sort of a veteran at your job and people are looking to you to take over leadership positions. Yeah. But the various number of excuses, right? Oh, you know, I'm a I'm a trust fund kid. I don't need money or <laughs> things that make sense to people that, you know, just explain that, Hey, you're making money on the side. Yeah. Uh, what what yeah. did you tell them? Like you just want to spend more time with your kids or. Yeah. I mean, I didn't really go into specifics. I, uh, it's definitely more time with my kids, which, you know, I'm not being dishonest when I say that. I mean, if I take on more responsibility, you know, that would eat into my time with kids for sure. I mean, I've already got to be pretty intentional with my time today kind of operating in three different areas. So yeah, I was a kids in a family thing and just overall not the right time for me at this point in my life. Yeah. And they're okay with that. Just tell them your wife's a doctor or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I wish I was a trust fund baby or something like that. Too. Yeah, I wish so too. <laughs> but so did that, were you investing before that happened or was it about the same time? Yeah, I mean, I was definitely... I had always been really paying attention to it. I had done some flips. So, but just, it was nothing that was really, you know, how do I build up my passive cash flow? Because anybody who's ever done a flip knows that it's not passive. And so I, had, I hadn't really stacked, you know, I wasn't building a uh, house flipping business, but, 
you know, like any of the, the people my age going up, you know, I was in, in college when Flip This House started coming out. And so, you know, got that bug. And I just remember me and my roommates just watching that for days and, and hours and talking about how we wanted to get into that and, you know, never really took any action. And, but I did go, I, I did a couple and then the light bulb hit or my Han Solo moment when, as you call it, when I saw my dad get laid off that's what really picked it up. And I just hit full throttle and bought five houses right away, bought five houses within about 30 days because at the time I was going into it, Hey, I'm, I'm just going to flip these again, realized, Hey, it was just like the last time. This is very intensive uh, time intensive. I was spending way too much time talking to my contractors, you know, got through those projects. I actually kept a couple cause they were decent rental properties and then started moving down the rental property aspect of it. At the same time that, that was going on, I could see that, hey, even if I kept these two rental properties, it's still going to require me to be somewhat involved or really just for me, it came down to the scalability aspect of it. You know, how can I build up enough passive income to replace my expenses? That was, that's my first goal. And so, you know, multifamily is really where that came into play. And I started going down that path, researching it and ultimately buying, well, I put a contract on a 21 unit that deal fell through, but I, I purchased 14 unit in that same time period. Yeah. So fast forward a little bit. And um, mm. this other kid was doing a podcast in Seattle and then we met. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we teamed up on this yeah. Huntsville deals. Yeah. So I asked you, you know, this isn't your first deal, but every deal there's good and bad things that happen more times, good, bad things that nobody ever hears about, but we wanted to kind of like, you know, there's always lessons learned, right? There's always going to be issues. So I had you prepare a list of uh, seven things to that you learned just so that people can see the dirty side of this and maybe think about things when they're doing their own properties, whether it's small stuff, just turn here or whatever. But the first thing you have here was, not Googling the crime on the property. You know, where did this, this happen? <laughs> yeah. So I hope this wasn't the Huntsville one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I ain't surprised. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, it's, no, this was uh, a couple of properties before that. It was a, uh, you know, it was a, it was a midsize 56 unit property. Basically what happened, you know, thankfully there was nothing crime related that had happened within a 12 month period. But there was actually a murder that happened on the property. It was not tenant involved, but it did happen on the property that happened about two years from the time that we were uh, purchasing it. And what ultimately what happened is it spooked the lender. It spooked the lender. And, you know, we were near the closing. I mean, this was like a week and a half before closing. And this this was a Freddie Mac small balance loan. They came back and they said, hey, we told you we were going to give you 75% loan to value. Well, it's actually going to be 60%. So ultimately, from that point, we were having to re-swizzle because it was just the other part of that deal was we, were, we had a 1031 exchange investor. And so our capital was somewhat fixed and in, in an effort to not continue to complicate that side of things we just went out and, and sought out a, a bridge lender, you know, somebody that could get us closer to 75, 80% loan to cost. But, um, and there's some other stories that I think 
we'll get into with that same deal as part of the, the lessons learned. But there are a few lessons learned from the closing of that deal. But specifically uh, now, every time I go look at a property, before I even really run the numbers and start engaging with the broker, I just Google property name and shooting and then property name and crime. I'm not kidding. It's, it's not a rocket science. You'd be surprised like how many times, how many deals I have just completely walked away from without even, you know, without the broker even knowing it, what happened. And if it's a broker that I have a relationship with, I'll say, Hey, look, I just found this. Did you know about this? Nine times out of 10, they'll say no. And thanks for sharing kind of thing. But uh, so in a way you're bringing them value. So they know you're going to do your homework and, and, you know, you continue to build that trusted status with the broker community, but always, always, always property name and shootings. <laughs> There's also like third party websites that, you know, can pull data from the, the police department, but the police department is a great yeah. source of that. They have these nice government yeah. maps. I drill into those too, if I, especially if I don't see anything. And if I know, especially in a lot of the markets that I'm invested in, I know where some of the potential crime spots are. And if I don't find anything initially specifically tied to that property or the property's address, that's when I'll, I'll go ahead and drill in a little bit to some of those other websites. Trulia has a really good one, Crime Heat Maps. You can, you can drill in, it's real quick. I'm all about speed when I'm trying to analyze the deal. And so just Googling address and shootings or, you know, using truly a crime heat maps for the specific city, you can actually pinpoint the specific location and see what kind of crimes have happened on the property. All right. You don't want any violent murders or homicides, but the, you know, you're going to have theft. You're going to have vandalism for yeah. sure. This is C class, B yeah. class. You're going to have it. You know, and I'll be, I'll even go as far as saying like that deal has turned out to be a great deal. You know, there's a lot of upside there. The rents were very under market, but the, 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 the previous seller couldn't raise rents because they weren't putting any capital into the, into the deal. But so we cleaned it up. You know, we've had just some other minor issues that had occurred during the cleanup process, but nothing major things that are expected in a C-class property. But I mean, and, and then even shootings, even if there has been a past shooting, or even a murder. Just talk to the lender. I mean, if the, the, the faster you get that into the lender's hands, the faster that they can help you build a story around how they have to go sell to Fannie or Freddie Mac, if that's the type of path you're taking. Or if you're doing a bridge loan, even easier in some cases, because a, a lot of the bridge lenders, you know, they, they, they pay attention to the crime activity, but at the end of the day, they're, you know, they're putting an uh, emphasis more on you combined with the property that you can turn that around. Did you have to do a uh, security like the rent a cop or a little bit on that property or, you know, um, what we, we tried, we tried, we tried multiple times. Ultimately there were a couple things that happened where it just kept us from hiring on the security officer. But right now we're still looking at, we really don't need it. Knock on wood because we've really, We've cleaned up a lot of the, a lot of the tenants. I mean, what was happening at the property was a lot of the tenants that were just attracting those types of people. They were drug dealers. I mean, and, and our maintenance guy knew who, exactly who they were. He gave us a list of people who he thought that were the drug dealers. Turns out you match it up with a, a rent roll and 
they're the ones who have, you know, this <laughs> backdated <laughs> rent who haven't been paying rent. So we evicted them out and it wasn't anticipated. We didn't think we were going to have to evict that many people early on. And, and so our occupancy went, went down pretty drastically, but ultimately it's for the better. But yeah, I mean, once we got them out of there and started renovating units, you know, there were still a couple months of lingering where just vandalism and things like that. I mean, we had to go in and replace a couple things twice because of just issues, you know, just tenants angry, you know, on their way out kind of thing. But, you know, fast forward that deal, we're back up to 98% physically occupied. People are paying and we're getting our year five projected rents only 18 months later. Have you ever listened to a podcast or been in a seminar and too afraid to ask a slightly personal question? Our mastermind will have an intimate feel where people are going through the program together and at their own pace if needed, in order to foster friendships. When I was learning and paying thousands of dollars for masterminds and mentorships, the network, however hokey pokey as it sounds, was a big part of it. What happens in the mastermind stays in the mastermind. We'll use the bi-weekly webinar sessions to dissect concepts with real-life examples. Hear how someone else might implement something like infinite banking concept on a hot seat session. Our group will attract thought leaders to meet just with our exclusive group. We can get FaceTime and ask individual questions. Why? Because our group will be people who put their money where their mouth is and go out and make things happen, as opposed to your local REI club which is traditionally just a bunch of tire kickers and some sharks. Simplepassivecashflow.com backslash journey to learn more. So you kind of mentioned this, the second point, um, you know, communicating with the LPs on the 1031 or needing extra capital on that one. Not more for the, and a lot of the listeners are more passes, but mm-hmm. I think that's just a good point of like, you know, until the deal closes, a lot of this stuff isn't set in stone, right? And I think a lot of the the packages are at a certain rate. It's nice when you can underwrite a deal and then you get you get lucky. I mean, how many times you put out a deal and it's like, oh, guess what, guys? We got really lucky. We got this interest rate or an extra year IO interest only. Yeah, yeah. No, that um, definitely happened. Sorry, I'm getting a little pop up there. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's like you said, it's never, it's never across the finish line until it's in and, you know, you've got to be flexible uh, even after the, after closing. I mean, just like anything that, that you're dealing with real people in the corporate world, you've got to be flexible. So the next point you wrote down here, not following up with the mortgage broker enough. What happened there? What did I, what did I mean by that? <laughs> Sorry, I wrote that last week. Oh, uh, so so that's a funny thing. Like a lot of the stuff you write down or you, you got burned with is like second nature it, exactly. after, after it's all done. Yeah. Well, number one, the lesson learned there is I really don't work with mortgage brokers anymore. I just go <laughs> straight. <laughs> Unless it's a bridge, you know, it's a property where we need a bridge loan. I'll just go straight to a main lender, which typically we're doing Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac lending uh, loans. And so there's only a handful of lenders that can actually uh, do direct. And on the, on the last deal we did lane from not the Huntsville, but the Gulfport one, I had an awesome, awesome experience with that lender. But the story is basically on one of the loan assumptions that we were doing for the syndications last year, 
ended up going through a broker just because there was a previous relationship between broker and lender. So it just, it was natural for us to use that broker, even though we didn't have to. They basically, from the time the due diligence ended to the, to like three and a half weeks later, he had not submitted the deal to Arbor in this case, which was the, they, they had the loan, which means we were going to be working with Arbor through the broker to go through the closing of the deal to make, if that makes sense for your listeners. The problem with that is that three week gap, we basically just lost three weeks in the closing process. And so, you know, when you build your, your timing in the contract to close a property, you have, you know, what's standard nowadays, you have 30 days due diligence, maybe 30 to 45 days closing with some built-in extensions where you can put down more earnest money to extend another 30 days. So we had that, but we basically lost, you know, our due diligence during that time was 30 days and then we lose three weeks. Uh, it really just put us off to a really slow start through the entire process. Ultimately, it cost us a little bit more money just that, that, I, that came out of my pocket and just to get the deal done. But, you know, it was necessary because we were raising capital on that deal. So, you know, just in an effort to shield our investors, you know, it was just at the cost, but it could have been avoided had we, you know, just stayed on top of the mortgage broker. Again, they're people too. You've got to rely on them. If you're using a mortgage broker, you've got to rely on them to be communicating with the, with the end lender. In this case, it just wasn't getting done. Yeah. So this is a little bit more advice for the more hands-on folks in the crowd. Right. Right. There's a few of folks in the mastermind, my mastermind that are kind of going down this path, but just for the passive investor out there, you got to do these deals. There's mortgage brokers, but in my opinion, I'm sure Kyle will, will also say the same thing. They don't really add too much value other than uh, taking a cut for themselves. Yeah. So if you know who the players are behind them, you just go straight to them and cut them out. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it definitely, in some cases they have, they, they can help provide quotes. Like if you just need somebody to look at the deal and maybe you don't have a relationship, that's really where they will come into Kim in handy. But for me, just having done a few deals now, I pretty much, uh, I, I know the process for the closing a deal and going through the loan process. So I don't feel the need for a broker in my case. Yeah. And one of those things is you and I, your our investment criteria is pretty much the same where we like stabilize buildings. So we're going to go right. to a Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac lender. There's not too exactly. many of them, but right. if you're looking to take on like a 60% occupied or one of those higher risk, higher return ones. Yeah. You may need a broker. Right. But, yeah. That, um, there are a lot of bridge lenders out there that, that would fit into that type of scenario that you just mentioned. There's a lot of bridge lenders out there. And frankly, I, I only know a handful of them but they can definitely come in handy. A broker can come in handy finding the bridge lenders for sure. Yeah. So if you guys are trying to do that, well, you're probably listening to the wrong podcast. You need to <laughs> change your, uh, your dial. Next thing you mentioned here, not having a relationship with the leasing person. Yeah. Um, yeah. You say you're working multiple <laughs> deals for other people. Yes. Uh, this was a recent... Uh, Must have been hard for you to find this out, huh? What a betrayal. It was. It was. Now, thankfully, 
the process to change property management companies was already, you know, was already moving forward. And so we found this out in that process, but yeah, I mean, so again, more for the operator and the deal side sponsor and operating a deal, but I find it helpful to build a relationship with the person who's actually doing, you know, who's on site at the property. In this case, you know, it might be called a leasing agent. In a couple of cases, I know the leasing agent, I know the maintenance person as well. And so, you know, really why that is because, you know, you can just have direct contact with them in some cases to really find out information that maybe, maybe the, the regional manager from the property management company isn't sharing with you or, you know, maybe they are, and, and maybe it's just good to have open line of communication, but that's, that was a learning experience. So in this case, we found out in one of our properties, we were operating two other properties. This is a Huntsville. We were operating basically three properties out of one of the properties that had an office. So we had our three properties and then they were also operating another three properties that weren't owned by us out of the same office. (laughs) So people were calling in our office, you know, coming in our office to pay rent, which, you know, reality is it probably wouldn't have been that big of a deal if the things that were happening weren't happening, which was sharing of our resources, which means we're paying that person full-time payroll. In this case, we weren't, you know, our payroll wasn't being prorated across the six properties that were being managed out of there. It was just, you know, we were taking the hit. And the other part of that is they were also sharing materials. So our maintenance wasn't, wasn't staying on top of our staff. Our maintenance staff wasn't getting things done, getting our turns done. So there are a lot of things that, that probably could have been avoided had we just had that relationship. So Right, right. I mean, it's fine because now in Huntsville, we've got like a few properties there. It's fine when yeah. they're sharing resources amongst those three. But what was happening is there was another owner that they were also working for us. So that, that, that was the issue, yeah. just to be clear. Well, three other. So there was basically <laughs> those three properties were three different owners. <laughs> so yeah. it was... A total of four owners being ran out of one office. And this is, you know, it's not the biggest office either. So yeah, yeah, I was there. I saw. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but this is like, you know, like a lot of mom pa investors. They go to some boot camp and they're like, "Oh, you just get the property manager." I'm like, "Dude, yeah, you're an idiot. Like, you gotta stay on top of them. <laughs> this is not gonna work. You know, you you need to be there. You need to know what's happening because these guys will do this stuff to you, and then you fired yeah. them, right?" Just pay attention. That, that's the next thing here. <laughs> How long did well, you wait? I, to I would say for the people from the passive standpoint, it's critical that they can trust that the sponsor is staying on top of the property manager. So, you know, may, maybe that make, they make that through part of their vetting process or vetting the sponsorship team and things like that. But that's critical. So how long, your other lesson learned here was like you didn't fire the PM quick enough. What? Yeah, that one in Huntsville, we got, we moved pretty quickly there. It was, it's basically a couple properties before that, that, that we learned, you know, and it's, I don't know. I think from the time that we closed on the property to the time that we fired them, it was probably six months, which we knew just looking back on it, we probably knew after 30 to 45 days that, that we were going to fire them. And I'll, I'll take the blame. Cause I was the one that was saying, Hey, I will have a couple partners. 
hey, let's just give them, you know, we're only 30 days into this. Let's, yeah, let's just give them a little bit more time. In your defense, if you have the relationship with the person, maybe not the company, yeah, you try and work with people, right? And that was exactly the case. I had spent a lot of time with, with that manager through the, they, they helped us through the closing process. They got in there, they transitioned everything over pretty quickly, but ultimately the reasoning for that one is, and they did a good job of evicting the, the bad tenants out, but they couldn't get the work done. They couldn't get the units turned fast enough, which ultimately suppressed us being able to lease up these other units. So, yeah. you know, again, I would, I think, you know, the way that I've changed my, my approach is to really kind of streamline you know, I feel like from a management company perspective, maybe taking that down to two companies right now is what it's looking like across just where, where the portfolio is for, for me and you, you're a part of that. So maybe just uh, having, you know, for the passive folks who are listening, make that a part of their, their question criteria. Like, hey, how are you managing these? How well do you know the property manager? Do you have a pass with this property manager? And just making sure that, that they... They can trust them. If it's a first-time relationship, it's not necessarily a bad thing. But if they say, hey, yeah, this is the first time that we've ever used this company, your next question should be, well, why are you using them? You know, who referred them? What references do you have? Things like that. Yeah. And, and you know, in your defense, I think people can sharpshoot this and say, oh, you didn't act quick enough. But, you know, when I was there hanging out in the office and like the police officer came over and then them, the police officer and the, and the property management company, they knew they were discussing all the problem tenants. They knew which ones were trouble. Yeah. And so that's the kind of insider knowledge that was critical in the change order, but that's right. It's hard if you just boot them out day one. You right. Know, and all that. For sure. For sure. Uh, and then your last takeaway here, not starting soon enough. This is kind of your own, your own personal lesson learned. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I think it's a big one, whether, whether the folks want to be on the, on the passive side or even active side, I mean, active meaning going out, finding your own deals and putting a deal together. I mean, just, just getting out there. I mean, you can start small, you know, what's your risk tolerance. I mean, I know sponsors who, are, you know, they'll, they'll allow people to come in, you know, it's usually towards the end when they're trying to fill the, the capital stack, but they'll allow people to come in between 15 to $25,000 per investment. You know, generally our minimums are 50, but we've gone under that to, like I said, fill up, fill it up on the back end to, to just get the type of capital or get hit our capital goals. Right. But so finding those types of sponsors is, is, is going to be key for your passive folks who don't have a uh, high risk tolerance, but you know, it's really just a matter of getting into it because for me personally, one of the biggest things that I've seen and how it's uh, helped me just across my entire portfolio and all my streams of income is through my personal tax return. You know, the tax depreciation that, that you get when you invest in these deals and even as a limited partner is, is amazing. And you know, it's, it's really helped offset my primary income uh, in the corporate world. And even to the point where this year through talking to my, my uh, what's it called? CPA, my tax, my tax team, you know, they feel I'll be able to qualify for a real estate professional, which is going to be huge, even more so for me personally. So, 
you know, that's not going to be the case for everybody who's investing passively by any means, but there are other advantages to, from a tax perspective that you get. And I think most of the people probably listening to that understand that, but just, just take the action and, you know, it sounds hokey, but it's true. All right. So what's your uh, simple passive cash flow number that you're kind of shooting for personally? Yeah, my personal is to continue, you know, I'm almost to the point where I'm able to replace, replace our monthly expenses. And then, you know, our, our comfortable, I say comfortable monthly expenses because, you know, if we needed to really cut back, we, we could survive. But, you know, our, our lifestyle with three kids, you know, and the kids activities, you know, baseball, gymnastics, all that other stuff that they like to do, you know, we've got, we've got our set number probably three quarters of the way there and then and then to double that so you know start with replacing expenses and then double that and you know those more or less short shorter term goals i should say shorter term because i've you know i don't know how long it's actually going to take but i've got some goals in mind but that's how i'm that's kind of how i'm building it replace the expenses and then double that so when you, when you do double it, what, what would be kind of your ideal day? Like, is your wife going to work or are you going to quit first? Or who's, who's quitting first, I guess? I don't know. I, uh, well, for, it, would, it would definitely probably be me quitting the corporate job. You know, we've got this business on the side too, the appraisal business. And, you know, obviously I control my time as a business owner with uh, my partner and I in that deal or in that business. And we're scaling it up like the, the cash flow quadrant teachings of Robert Kiyosaki where you know you're leveraging the resources around you to run the business you know right now I am a big part of it still working in the business and still operating the the business but being able to step back and have other people do the day-to-day stuff that's the ultimate goal <clears throat> so I would be the one to at least quit the corporate job my wife has also got her own goals she's a she's in the um, education space she is going down the path of being a wants to be a school principal someday. So there's definitely a larger purpose in her goals as well. And so that's why I say I'll, I'll probably be the one to, to do that. Yeah. Good for her. Yeah. <laughs> well, she did a lot of, a lot of like teachers, like my wife's a teacher. So they actually yeah. enjoy their jobs where you and I could probably care less about. Our- yeah. <laughs> yeah. They do. Yeah, for sure. Uh, something you guys recently thought about or did burn your cash on for a time savings or improvement in quality of life. And so we're actually, they haven't started yet, but we're hiring a more or less like a personal assistant, you know, somebody that for me, I desperately need somebody who can, you know, I'm thinking about it that I can just send, show them how to just key some numbers in to analyze a deal. If they can just read a P&L statement that I get from a broker, at least set it up, get the actuals in there, I can do the rest. Or there are certain aspects of the appraisal business that I can also just start throwing to them as well. And then the other part of that is where it's more of an assistant versus like an executive admin is, you know, using them in our house as well. You know, my wife, I just mentioned, she works, you know, the, the, as her career grows in the education space, her, her time is shrinking as well. So if we can have this person come in and maybe just start dinner, start cutting vegetables, you know, whatever whatever, just helping her in that space as well, you know, just in every aspect of it. So that person is going to start, you know, we're recording this first week of May. This person is going to start second week of June. So I'm excited about that. I actually starting the 
to buy these pre-made meals. So when I go to the CrossFit gym yeah. today, I got to pick up 10 meals. So we'll see how that works. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we, we started doing that too. Um, and it's just that we're, we're even lazier. We're, we're not picking them up. They're being delivered. So. <laughs> you pay the $3, what is it? $3 extra or $5 extra. From yeah. That? Yeah. It's through DoorDash. So I mean, it's, <laughs> it's awesome. It's worth it. Right? Oh, absolutely. Mean, absolutely. Even if you, even if you don't, like even if you aren't working, you know, three jobs or if you don't have, like, even if you do have time, like just easing, allowing these types of things into your life, have changed, they're, they're game changers, you know, leverage the time that we're in today with the technology that's available to you in your personal life. That's right. great. Right. I mean, another reason I'm doing it is because it's like portion control since I don't know yeah. what that is. it slows you down well what happens if you just go eat two of them though well then i feel (laughs) like a pig right i just ate two meals (laughs) and you ate your lunch for the next day yeah and there's nothing more to eat so (laughs) but so how much i mean i think a lot of people are are doing this and i think people feel a little shameful right of like oh i have an all pair but secretively a lot of people who are building up passive cash flow are choosing more time with their kids. I know my, my parents, they were spending all the time going to the grocery store and cooking the damn meal and never had time for kid for us. Exactly. Right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I am really big right now at this point in my life on this. I've got a financial freedom number and goals around my finances, but with my kids and while they're, they're young right now, just creating life experiences. And so you know, this is a real conversation that I'm having. I'm just being transparent. Like my wife and I, you know, we're looking, we're seeing this added income come in and, you know, we were occasionally looking at, at houses, you know, cause we could, everybody can use the space. Right. So, you know, buying a, a little bit of bigger house with a little bit of extra square footage with a pool, you know, this and that. And then, you know, I, I keep coming down when I start looking at the numbers. If I do start going down that path, it's like, Hey, you know, I'd rather take that money that we may spend, you know, cause maybe our mortgage will only increase, you know, a couple hundred bucks. What's well, a couple hundred bucks over 12 months, right? Most people say that, but if I can stash that away and then go take a, a trip with my kids in the summer when they're off from school to a foreign country or something like that, that's the kind of stuff that I'm dreaming about right now. And so, you know, that's what I want to be able to do and why I'm doing what I'm doing around, you know, the simple passive cash flow. So what are you what are you gonna pay this exec? I'm I'm personally interested in this. <laughs> I mean you're trying to find somebody who is gonna yeah. give you a lot more value than you pay them, right? Like the the perfect employee, yeah. right? Right now, uh we're talking about <laughs> fifteen to sixteen bucks an hour. And so, you know, and this is in Texas. I mean, so the cost of living is a lot different than Hawaii where you are, but so I don't know what that type of person would make there. But you know, it's a good scenario for this 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 particular individual. She just had a baby. So the baby will be, you know, six months. So this is not going to be something that's going to be full-time initially, although, you know, we're throwing it around. I mean, we'll see where this goes, but she's flexible. We're flexible. She's going to be able to bring the baby with her or, you know, just even in the comfort of her own home. And so, you know, right now it, it, it frees her up too. It, it, right. It, it helps her out. It gives her the flexibility. It still allows her to, you know, she, her situation, she's quitting her job to stay home with the baby, but you know, she would still like to have some sort of income, you know, well, there you go. If you guys know somebody looking to uh, make 15, $16 an hour in Houston, 
And I'll pay them $17, $18 here in Hawaii. Yeah. Um, Are you going to cover their living expense too? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> they can live on their own place, but they can come in the middle of the day and cook me food. Yeah. <laughs> but they also learn about a lot of this stuff, right? I think, yeah. you know, so I've, I've tried to do the same thing. They say go to the university, like the marketing department or the comm department. <laughs> Cause they don't yeah. have, they don't have very good jobs. Right. Let's be honest. Yeah. Um, go find one of these guys and then bring them in on a, as an intern and actually teach them how to build financial freedom. But I'll tell you, man, these kids are idiots. Like they want to go work for a big company making 40 yeah. grand a year, 50 grand a year. And yeah, they just don't get it. No, I mean, this is actually a similar conversation that I'm having with my business partner in the appraisal business is, you know, going out, you know, we've grown our business. So we're trying, you know, we're having to leverage other appraisers. A lot of the appraisers in Texas are just, you know, near, you know, they're baby boomers, they're near retirement. They're being very selective with their work. So they're kind of stuck in the ways, you know, our, our business value is quick turn time. So quick digress in, in the residential appraisal in Texas, the average turn time from the time that you order the appraisal to the time that they get it back to the lender, it could be five to seven business days. And we've trimmed that down to two business days. But a lot of the older appraisers who've been doing it for so long, they don't want to do it. And so if we can take somebody fresh out of school and teach them, this is the way it is. It's just the way it is. So you want to be able to become an appraiser. You can kind of create your own path. The same thing with passive income. You can, you can go out and seek out these investments. You can, you can work in like an appraising type role where you can, create your own destiny and, and, you know, save up money to invest passively as well. So uh, that's kind of how I'm thinking about it and correlating the two. And for us to grow and scale as that, as that for within that business, that's our model. You know, we want to take people who are fresh, you know, and train them up that to fit our business model. Well, so sorry to digress from that. No, 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 it's good. It's good. Uh, I think these are all the problems that passive investors are facing, call them first war problems, but they're, they're real. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so back to investing um, in the seller's market, what are you personally investing in? So I'm still, you know, I would say mostly multifamily. We've got active deals in the multifamily space, always looking, you know, I'm, and right now it's more so from a standpoint I've built up enough relationships with brokers to, you know, start getting first looks at the deal. I'm starting to look at other alternative asset classes, studying up on just services-based commercial retail, you know, something that's really well located. I'm also looking at mobile home parks as well, you know, figuring out uh, that space to where you're essentially just the owner of the, of the lot instead of, you know, also having to maintain the actual residence itself. Uh, it's a little different business model. So starting to, to pay more attention to that and, so I'm really, the way I'm thinking about this is not so much jumping around, you know, to these different asset classes, but just being able to offer up, you know, you know, this is, this is how I'm helping our limited partners diversify their investments where it's not just multifamily. It's, Hey, we've got a multifamily deal here. We've also got maybe a mobile home park. Here's a commercial retail that's located in a great location. So that's kind of how I'm thinking about it. All right. So wrapping up here, if you're a Tony Robbins fan, he talks about the art of fulfillment and the science of achievement. So what's your secret or hack to the science of achievement? How do you get stuff done? Any secret 
rituals or nighttime routines or habits that it's kind of special yeah. to what you do? So I do have, I definitely have a morning routine. I'm just having the three income streams come in. I've got to be very intentional about how I structure my day. So I'll be honest, I get up, my alarm starts going off at four four fifteen. I usually get up at four thirty. And for me, I, you know, open up my my Bible, read, pray, and sit there and meditate for a little bit. And sometimes I'll journal a little bit. Sometimes, you know, I may not, just depends on how I feel that morning. Journaling is something I'm still kind of dabbling with, but it's more so writing down my goals. Uh, and then I'll hit the gym. That's every day. And then I'll be back home at like 6.30. And then I get the kids ready and I take my boys to, to, to the preschool. Love doing that. I'm going to miss it. My middle son is starting kindergarten next year. So my wife's going to take him with her. So I'll only have my youngest. So I'll, you know, I'll be, I'll, I'll miss that for sure. But, and then like throughout the day, once I get home from dropping them off, I, you know, I have work in time blocks, you know, and what that means to me is I, I really try to block off a time in my calendar where um, maybe only at this time, I'm only working on the corporate job at this point in time. I'm only working on the appraisal business or at this point in time, maybe I'm analyzing deals, working on real estate stuff. For the most part, my schedule calls that I have with my property managers, all of that is grouped inside those time blocks that I have for that day. So I would say, you know, it's, it's getting more challenging, especially the more properties that we acquire to compartmentalize everything. So, but that's, that's how I do it. And then I have a strict, like between, you know, I'm shutting down between five and five thirty because my kids are home. I, I work from home. My kids are home around four, four thirty, And then I try to shut down completely for until they go to bed. And then when they go to bed, it's back on, it's game time. So it's really catching up on the day trying to get another couple hours in before I uh, fall asleep and pass out and do it again the next day. You know, something that came to mind when you're saying that you're, you're kind of working at sprints, you know, at the end there, when I got really unmotivated at my job, I would do the same thing because if not, I wouldn't do any work work, you know, the yeah. work. I don't know yeah. if that's what you're feeling like. <laughs> no, it definitely <laughs> is. Uh, it definitely is. But that honestly, that that three hours at the end of the day between five and five thirty until usually seven thirty eight o'clock uh, when my kids go down, that definitely helps, right? And so most of the stuff that I'm doing at night is not related to the corporate job. I mean, the, my corporate job is my primary source of income. They're going to get the bulk of my day, and so a lot of these other side things, I've got to make sure that I'm staying on top of it. But yeah. So at the end of the day, that's really where I'll catch up on like the appraisal stuff, make sure all our orders are in the, our, our software or get back to brokers. I mean, commercial brokers, if nobody's ever dealt with them, they don't operate very quickly themselves. It's not like uh, the residential realist, the single family realtors, but you know, they don't work weekends like your realtors do. So it's, you know, you have more time. If you respond to them at night, you know, that's what I found to be okay. But yeah, you're absolutely right, Lane. So what is your secret hack to the art of fulfillment? Any way to contributing back or any ways of keeping it all perspective? Yeah, I mean, I'm really trying to be more giving of my time with, you know, it has to evolve my kids as well. So it's through coaching, you know, I'm coaching T-ball for my son, you know, that takes up a big part of our weekends. Uh, but I'm, 
you know, I'm more than that. I don't want to be very involved with all the other boys as well. So, but I also do some mentoring at my wife's uh, elementary school. So every week I'll go over there and spend 30 minutes, 30, 45 minutes with my mentee over there, just talking about life, talking about everything. So, you know, in addition to financially, we, we give back in many financial aspects, but that's how I, I, I get way more fulfillment through giving of my time than I do financially for sure. Cool. Um, but yeah, thanks for jumping on. Uh, anything we m- missed and you want to get your contact information out there, you know, you just got a new snazzy yeah. uh, logo <laughs> made finally. Yeah, I know. <laughs> finally, for sure. Yeah. So my, the company I operate under is True Point Capital, T-R-U-E-P-O-I-N-T, True Point Capital. My website's just truepointcap.com. And you can email me at kjones at truepointcap.com. I'm pretty easy to find on the Facebooks, Instagram, everything, LinkedIn. I'm not hard to find. <laughs> so, All right, man. Well, yeah, yeah it, was, it was good kind of getting to know you a little bit better and asking some of these questions that I wouldn't now because it's a little awkward <laughs> with each other. But yeah, thanks for coming on. And uh, thanks for everybody for listening. Yeah, well, thanks guys a lot. Next time. Take care. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.